If you would, stand for the reading of God's word from this powerful passage, Acts chapter 1. Luke writes, God speaks. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our Father, through this passage, simply ask that we might follow you more nearly and present your gospel more clearly. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I do a puzzle, I like whoops, the, the box top, okay? Because I'm not good at visualizing things really well, and I want, I want directions, okay? So I want that box top. But then more than that, I want the corner pieces. I'm after the edges, and then even more specifically, I'm after the corner pieces of the puzzle. Because those corner pieces are going to frame out everything so that it fits in place, right? With our passage this morning, all scriptures God breathe, every single verse of it. But we have this morning, what I'm going to say is a corner piece of scripture, a corner piece. When Jesus says in Acts 1.8 to go and you'll have power and you'll be my witnesses and you're going to do it Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, it frames out what happens in the rest of the book of Acts. I would say it frames out even what Paul does in every one of his epistles. He is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so this passage is critical for understanding our Bible, and for us, how we live out God's call for us. So what we're going to do, I invite you, keep your Bibles open, please, if you have one, because we're going to walk through this passage, and you have an outline uh, in the bulletin. If you have a bulletin, kind of a different format, you'll see in the first part, it's just, here's a couple columns, okay, the first column is the first five verses, where Jesus is in effect saying, wait, Wait, get this right, and then verses 6 through 11, go. So we're going to have a few notes here and there 
about the things here. So the first one is this, our author, Luke. Luke is the one writing this. Luke is a, a Gentile convert. Okay, He's one of the, the only author in the New Testament who wasn't Jewish. He's a Gentile con- convert. He's very well educated. Probably heard about that. Luke, the doctor, the physician. He knew classical Greek. He knew Hellenistic Greek. He knew Aramaic. He knew Hebrew. He's a smart guy. We often say, that's why he's so precise. You know, he's accurate because he's a doctor. Kind of thought about that a bit. And, you know, I want my doctor to be precise and active, uh, accurate. Dr. Johnson, if you're doing surgery on me, I want you accurate. But I also want, if I had an accountant... I want him to be pretty accurate. Plumber, I want him to be pretty accurate and not messing up with the pipes. If I, if I have an Uber driver, I don't want this guy doing that. I want him focused and zeroed in and accurate, right? We want them all to be accurate. So maybe Luke was just OCD, and that's why he's so accurate. But we're going to give him credit. He is accurate with his details. He wasn't an eyewitness, but he trusted the witness of others passed to him, and he passes that along to us with accuracy. So that's our guy here, Luke. Luke is writing to Theophilus. Theophilus, his name means loved of God. And this Theophilus is so important that Luke basically, he, he writes the highest amount in the New Testament, more than even Paul, and he's writing it to one guy. Two letters, and these are massive scrolls. If, we, if I had in scroll, you could roll this out. It would come past the first row there. Handwritten, they didn't have word processors. Oh, this is a rough draft, or even the old typewriters. He's handwriting two massive scrolls. The first one, the Gospel of Luke. Two years later, he writes him this massive scroll of Acts. So much of our scripture is for Theophilus. And we're reading Theophilus's mail here. Theophilus, most excellent was his title given. So he was some guy, maybe with some uh, authority uh, in the Roman culture. And Luke is, in effect, uh, witnessing to him. So as we get into this, into Acts, Luke is, is sort of telescoping. He's looking back at the end of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus had had resurrection appearances and then leaves, go back, goes back to the Father. And Acts is kind of taking the telescope, zooming in on those events so that we can understand them better. In verse 2, the wording is a little bit awkward there, but, but we could say that in the Greek, I mean, the emphasis is on apostles in this, in this sentence here. The emphasis is on the, the apostles and their calling as apostles. So we realize these apostles weren't chosen because they were highly skilled. It wasn't that Jesus said, okay, Matthew, you know, you're a good tax collector. You'll make a good fundraiser. We'll choose you. Or, or, or Philip, you can do magic tricks with loaves and fishes. You'll fit well too. I'll choose you. No. In the same way that you are called, if you're a Christian through Nothing you did or did, no talents, you're chosen, you're saved. Jesus calls these apostles, okay? And, and they had special roles that we won't ever have. But as we read this, we can say much of what they were called to do, they represented us in our community 
And we're called in the same way. So we need to realize that. So Jesus is going to give them a calling. We'll hear it in a minute. But Luke goes a little bit back and forth here. And he references Jesus being taken up. Jesus is taken up. If we look at Jesus' life prior to this, we could say he had a trajectory from his conception, his birth, it was downward. And we call that Jesus' humiliation. He lived a life, as the passage says, the word there is suffering. Jesus suffered his whole entire life, but did it joyfully, amazingly. Did it joyfully. His humiliation from birth to the cross. Crucified beside two criminals. He even went to the cross instead of a criminal who deserved to go there. Pilate, what is truth? Send Jesus, let Barabbas go. Humiliation for Christ his whole life until the resurrection. And being taken up. We call that humiliation, exaltation. So Jesus, for those whole 40 days that he's going around, he's being exalted in some sense because he's proven he's alive. He's who he said he was. And then he's taken up to be at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. For your benefit and mine, he now, this minute, is your Attorney in heaven, my attorney in heaven, pleading our case, just as we have the Holy Spirit with us now as our attorney here on earth. For the unbeliever, he is not that for you, pleading for you. He will be your righteous judge. And that is the truth in his role at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But while Jesus was still with them before this ascension, as I said, Luke goes back and forth. Verse 3 says, he gave proofs, 40 days of proofs. He's alive. He ate with them. Thomas, see my hands. You wanted to see it. Here they are. Here are the scars. These scars will be with me forever. Trust me. You see the proof. He forgave. He reconciled Peter. Peter, you denied me three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, Peter, I want you back. You've run off. I want you back. He proves himself to Peter graciously. Luke's word for for proof is kind of a technical word, a sure sign or token. It goes back to ancient Greek with with Aristotle in in true proofs and syllogism. There was clear evidence, without a doubt, Jesus is alive. They knew it. They saw it. It proved things for them. So let's think about ourselves. What is it that makes you trust something? Make the case it's either evidence, you saw it for yourself, I believe it, or some other authority. This person is credible in this area, I believe them, I trust it. It's either evidence or authority. When I'm teaching young folks about logic, I like to ask, are there any unicorns? Say, no, there's no unicorns. How do you know that? I've never seen one. That's not good enough. How do you know? 
that it's not somewhere else. Well, I've traveled around a lot. I've never seen one. Well, you know what? When you were in Africa, maybe the unicorn had come back into your bedroom while you were there. Are you there? Are you everywhere at the same time? Oh, no. Okay, I get it. So the fact that there are no unicorns, we're actually trusting some authority, right? It's not your evidence. We're trusting some authority that says they can't be there, whatever. So we trust either experience or authority. I think of this for myself. Uh, years back, our, our son, Benjamin, he was, I think, six or seven, can't remember for sure, but he's playing around, and all of a sudden we hear him screaming. We go in the room, and what's going on? I stepped on something. I stepped on He's crying, and so we look, and there's no splinter, no needle, no nothing, but he calms down. Okay, we're all right. Well, no, that night, he's screaming in the middle of the night. Donna goes and gets him, puts him on our bed, Three o'clock in the morning, I can't see anything. She's got tweezers going after a splinter. I said, oh, this is convicting, but uh, great dad. I said, pretend like you got something. <laughs> Donna actually thought she got some splinter out of there. Don't parent like me. So, okay, buddy, go to bed. You're all right. So he actually did. He went to, he went to bed. Two days later, I, he's out there kind of limping around at a practice, and I tell the coach, he just doesn't have much of a pain tolerance. He's all right. So... Off and on for weeks, you know, he goes out, runs miles and plays kickball, and then, and then it hurts, and then it hurts, and then it goes back and forth. Just take him to a doctor. We're going to get this straight. So we take him to a doctor. He says, go get an x-ray. So take Benjamin. Fortunately, I was the one there to be convicted. Go in to see the x-ray. I go, all right, right. So tell us there's nothing there, right? He goes, there's a needle running through his toe, completely parallel to his big toe. So fortunately, we got it out the next day, bus. Benjamin, you're Superman. Don't, I'm never talking to you about pain tolerance again. I had to be persuaded with the evidence of that x-ray that said, Dad, you have no clue what you're doing. But so I got my evidence. So here's the point here. Your evidence, brothers and sisters, to persuade you of the truth that Christ rose that Christ is your Savior. What is it? Have you thought enough to really buy into it? Why is it that you believe in Christ? What is, is he trying to dissuade me from believing? No, absolutely not. Your faith in Christ is rightly founded. But we need to be sure brothers and sisters, and know that we know that we know, because if we don't know that, maybe that's why I don't share it as much if I'm not solely, 100% bought in. We need to think about that. Because the good news is, I can assure you, it's the right thing to believe in wholly, completely. Now, realizing in Scripture... I believe, help my unbelief. So there is grace. There is grace. It matters who the object of our faith. But brothers and sisters, we want to be convicted so that I'm sure of what I'm sharing with others. I'm sure it's the real deal. Verse 4 says this. While Jesus was staying with them, so while he's going around for those 40 days, while he's staying with them, eating them, literally in the Greek it says while having salt with them, while eating salt with them. 
So it's okay for me to put salt on my watermelon and my family can't make fun of me because Jesus said salt is good. There it is in the scripture. But while he's eating and fellowshipping with them, he taught them of the kingdom of God to receive it, testify it, point to it. I have brought it. You don't have to build it. Just receive it. I'm the one who's bringing the kingdom. And receive the Holy Spirit. This passage in Acts is as much about the Holy Spirit and Acts itself is as much about the Holy Spirit as it is about Jesus. A wonderful testimony to the Holy Spirit. And we often think, man, I I wish I was in the Old Testament when God would speak and they'd hear it audibly and the prophets, they would do this. I I wish I was there. And The Old Testament believers looked forward to the day of the new covenant when we have the Holy Spirit as a believer indwelling. We have it better than the Old Testament believers. They longed and looked forward to what you and I have as the Holy Spirit indwelling. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and help them. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. That is a blessing. So Jesus is saying to them, wait, wait, wait. But then in verse 6, there's a transition to now go. Go. Once the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and so for the other believers, that would be at Pentecost, but once you have the Holy Spirit, it's time to go. They asked, they said, are you, are you going to restore the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel, that kind of thing? It's, it's not about restoring the old kingdom to Israel. It's about you receiving the kingdom of God. You receive that. Now, they're, they're getting it. We, we shouldn't look at them like, you idiots. They, if you go in the Old Testament, they knew a king was coming. And they're looking to that king, but they see it as one event. Right? Where in the Old Testament does it make it clear that Jesus will come, he'll leave, he'll come back, second coming? It's kind of hazy. So it's like they're seeing one event. So Jesus, you come and restore, you're here. Wait, you're leaving, What? So he needs to make that clear to him, which scripture will do. But it's kind of like this. If you've ever seen what's called a, a false summit, okay? So when you're, when, you're, when you're climbing in the mountains and you see in the distance this high peak, okay? There's often this false summit, okay? So was out there with my three boys. We're doing Mount Princeton, one of the 14ers, it's, it's kind of, I'll call it the purgatory of the 14ers. All the 14ers are wonderful and beautiful, except kind of Mount Princeton. It just isn't that great. But to get to it, we had to do Tigger Peak first, okay? So you get to Tigger Peak, and then surely Mount Princeton, it's just right there. They look like the same thing. So on the way up there, Benjamin is talking it up for Levi. Levi, you got this. You're doing great. You're going to make it. You're, you're wonderful. You're the best. You got this. You got this. So we get up Tigger Peak. And Mount Princeton is way, way, way out there. At that point, it's like a handoff. Levi and Jonathan take off. Like Benj- Benjamin, what? he's laying on the ground. I mean, it could be the effect of that needle. I don't know. But he's, lay- he's done. It's so far. I said, Benjamin, I'm never coming up here again. You're going to finish this thing. And so he did. But it was a false summit. We saw what looked like one thing. It was two. 
In the same way, the disciples, the apostles here, they, they, they didn't get it that this is two events. This is two events. So they asked Jesus about the time, about the time of this. And Jesus kind of doesn't really answer the question. And we do that. You think of your children. The three-year-old asks, how much further? You say, well, about 30 minutes. What's a minute? Okay, that, that didn't work. Let's try diverting their attention. Okay, so hey, count, count the oil wells. Count the cows. Count, don't find a graveyard. You lose all your cows. But just count. Enjoy the ride. Right? You just divert their attention. Enjoy the ride. So in one sense, that's what Jesus is doing. He said, stop worrying about the timing. Focus on what's most important here. He diverts their attention to something most important in the ride. He says, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will have capital P power. Ten times Luke talks about power in Acts. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go a way because you will have power to share the way. It's better for you that I go away because then you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit to share the way. So he empowers them with identity. It's like their DNA, yours, mine, when the Holy Spirit is in, it's like our DNA is changed through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you have power. You have power. And it's our identity. It's a paradigm shift there where they're saying, Jesus, what are you going to do? He's going to say, hey, I'm going to give you back the hot potato here. You're actually going to be my witnesses. It's going to be on you. You have the power to do this. Witnesses. The word witness there that is used 39 times in Acts. Witness, witness, witness over and over. Be witnesses. Be witnesses. That's what Luke was doing to Theophilus. He's just telling what he knows. Theophilus, I'm going to tell you about Jesus' birth. I'm going to tell you about his life, his death, his resurrection. No rocket science here. I'm just telling you what I know. Okay? Some people know more than others, some less. Tell what you know. That's what a witness does. We're just sharing truth. And you know it, I know it. We're in this culture, this postmodern culture. Well, what's true for you? Might not be true for me. I mean, here's the extreme on that. This past week, in uh, this, I think it was the Seattle Times, they said, you know, math, your student says two plus two equals five. Don't, don't, don't correct them. That's, that's Western and that's oppressive. Don't do that. It's, you know, we're going to make, math is going to be relative. Oh, come on. I mean, so, when we're sharing the truth with people, share the truth. And, you know, back to the doctor thing. I mean, you want your doctor to be postmodern? You got something with your right leg? Hey, right leg, left leg. I'll do the left leg. I'll do your arm. It's all, it's legs, arm. Doesn't matter. Truth to you. Truth. No. The unbeliever gets it. There is truth. They can say, no, it's no absolute truth. You don't live that way. Okay? So we share the truth with the gospel, and we're called to do that. Yeah, you know, when we do that, it might not be that safe, right? Could be awkward, not that safe, that kind of thing. If we look here at this picture, a couple pilots in the uh, 
in our congregation. Todd Lesh, Dean Connectel. Now, maybe they're not flying those right now. They're flying the American uh, flights. But the safest place for them as pilots and with their planes would be where? On the ground. Just put them in the hangar, keep them there, lock them. They're safe. But that's not what they're called to do. It's not what they're called to be. They're to be up there flying. That is what they're called to do and to be, and it might not be the safest thing. As Adam read in Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you as a light for the nations, and I'll keep you safe, and you'll be okay, and it won't get hurt. No, no, no. You're a light for the nations. Go, go. So where? Where do they go? Acts 1.8, that corner piece, says this. And I apologize, the, the, you can't see it that well. But down here at the bottom, there's Jerusalem. Okay? The star there. Jerusalem will think about, for us, as believers, that's kind of going across the street. Your neighbors go across the street, as Randy Pope calls it in um, his journey program. We share the gospel across the street. That's Jerusalem. That's the people around you. It's actually the hardest most often because your neighbors know you. They saw you got mad. You got mad at your children. You got this. He, you know, or whatever. Share the gospel with them. I'm not the savior. Jesus is share the truth. Cross the street. We're called to do that. Then there's across the tracks, across the tracks to up there, Judea and Samaria. Those people are different Maybe different culture, not that far away, but they're different culture. They look different, dress different, smell different, whatever. Read this convicting thing the other day where it said, What is your thought of McDonald's? What comes to mind? New. Lots of people are going to say, It's that yucky place with icky food. Or. He said, why isn't it the interesting play, a place where you can meet a lot of interesting people? So the point is, not that everybody has to go out and get a Big Mac at McDonald's after this, but are we willing to go across the tracks to a different type of folks that maybe are, we wouldn't normally think of doing? Are we willing to do that, whether it's a McDonald's person or a whatever? Are we willing to go across the tracks, to the ends of the earth, across the ocean, to the ends of the earth. As I said, that's, that's what Paul did. Paul got this, and that's where he's going the rest of our Bible. To the ends of the earth was basically to Rome at that point, and that's where Paul's headed, there, there, there. For us as well, to the ends of the earth. The church is called to bring what is far, close, close to Christ, not just our culture that, well, this restaurant's better than McDonald's or this. No, we bring them to Christ. We bring them to Christ. And so there's what's called a paradigm shift here as far as centripetal force. Israel in the Old Testament, the, and this didn't come out that well either, but solar system, you got the, the orbits of the planets, right? The sun is holding them in. So Israel in the Old Testament, it wasn't just that they made walls and said, get away, Edomite, get away. 
You can't come in. No, you come in, and the Bible speaks, you look for traveler and sojourner. They were then pointed to the one true God. But they were brought in to Israel, into the community. The force pulling them in. But now there's a flip. In the New Testament, right here, Acts 1.8, Jesus says, now go. It becomes not centripetal, but centrifugal. And our good brother here, back in his days, he experiences Tim Brown in the Olympics with his hammer throw. Tim was a little bigger back then. But where did that hammer carry Tim? It's pulling him out. Centrifugal force out. So Jesus is saying, now go, church, go. Bring what is far near. Centrifugal force. Jesus delivers to them that corner piece of the puzzle. And then he's leaving. Verse 9, the cloud. The cloud, Jesus goes up in the cloud, sign of heavenly glory stamped upon him, and he's going to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. In verse 10, what, what would you do if that happened? You'd just be staring. And that's what, that's what they were doing. They were staring here. That verb there, gazing, Luke loves that word. He uses it 12 times uh, out of the New Testament, 12 of the 14 times it's used. It's Luke gazing. He likes these verbs for seeing and gazing and looking. So they're just gazing, fixed on it. We got to get their attention. So two uh, angels come, white robes, transcendent glory. Guys, Whoa, behold, what are you doing? What are you doing looking up there? And they say basically this, your checklist is now complete. It's time for you to go. Yes, you were to wait, wait, wait. Holy Spirit, go. Checklist. You've been given a direction to witness. You've been told, be my witnesses. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He's... He's running things. He's at the right hand of God the Father. You have the Holy Spirit to empower you. What are you waiting for? Go. And he's saying, in a sense, live, live out your life with peripheral vision. You're, Jesus is coming back. Don't ever lose sight of that. That shapes how you live here. But there's a peripheral vision. Got my eye on that. But then also, you've got a calling here and now to be my witnesses. So live it with Peripheral vision. So let's look quickly some application. Application. This can be some some uh, toe stepping on my feet, your feet. You know, Adam preached a while back. What was it? Quick, quick, slow, quick. Did I just did I, I can't dance. So I probably even got your little thing wrong. So I'm going to step on toes because I can't dance. So the big idea is this: gifted with power. We are a mission, not just we have a mission. The church is a mission. We're called to be, we're called to engage with the world. That's as much the point of the Holy Spirit coming for us. And you might think, okay, well, I think, I think about my church, I think about Redeemer, you know, you start to think about preferences. Well, I wish I wish this were different with this, and I prefer this, and the other church had this, but it is not 
what you think of your church, but what Christ thinks of his church. Revelation has a picture of Jesus going amongst the seven lampstands, the seven churches, and he's the one evaluating, that's my church, you're doing this well, keep it up, this is not good. Jesus calls his church, it's not my preferences for my church. We're a mission, we're a mission, and we do it together, and we do it separately. For this morning, I'm going I'm to challenge us a bit more on the individual side, for you, for me, to be the mission. Some defeaters to personal evangelism. First, well, I, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Response, there are 24 hours in a day. You got 24, he's got 24, she's got 24. We make time for what matters. We make time for what matters. And there's a lot that people say, well, you got to learn to say no. You learn to say no. Well, so just no, no, no. We say no when there's a better yes. I asked a brother just this week, hey, would you consider doing such a... And he said, you know, I looked into it, prayed with my wife, and I don't think that's best because I'm going to do this instead. I said, I'm done. I'm not asking you again. You said no because you have a better yes. Right on, right on. This is a better yes then many of the things that we fill our day with to be involved with living out mission with those who need the gospel. Well, I don't know how. I don't know how. Response, your identity, believer, is in Christ. You are what is needed. You are what is needed. Now, that being said, there is still advantage to having some tools in the tool belt, right? The carpenter still, he still needs the tools in his tool belt. So we are going to help to equip you to share the gospel. That's part of discipleship. So we are going to seek to give some tools, some training around that. Well, I don't, I don't know many, I don't know any non-Christians response why not why not is it because we're scared it's not safe if if our family gets involved with them it's just sometimes that's why we're doing this over safety jesus said go i'm with you maybe we're self-righteous i'm not going around those folks okay we read read gospel comes with the house key rosaria butterfield hospitality, bring people into our homes. Bring your neighbors, bring my neighbors, bring people into our homes. Be hospitable. Get to know them. Spurgeon said this, I said I'm stepping on toes and my toes too. Every Christian is a missionary or or an imposter. Mm. So some application, let's just be rock bottom, let's be more specific. You're on the team, play ball. Where? In your fishing pools. Okay? What's a fishing pool? Old guy goes out. He's by the pond. He starts fishing. That's going to be a few hours before he catches some fish. Hey, here's Barney over here. And they start talking. They just get to know about the weather and about what's going on at home and what makes them tick and all that. So they're at the fishing pool and they get to know each other. What's your fishing pool? 
What's your hobby? Where do you spend time? Fishing pool. Use that. Be aware that, hey, I can be, get to know this person, care about them. Use in your fishing pools, in your neighborhood, where we spend our time. But how? But how? Based on your identity, using appropriate tools. Identity will allow for tools. There's an evangelism class coming. In January, uh, Dan Ray is going to lead a class on evangelism. So if you need the tools, we're going to help with that. Pastor Adam's done a class on evangelism a while back. We want to equip you. So if you still need it and can't do the class, please come see me. We want to equip you, not guilt you or burden you, equip you because of the blessing of this. Now, for now, if we want some super simple takeaway. Prayer, share, care. Pray. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for somebody you know, you know who's an unbeliever. Care about them. So that when you're meeting with them, they don't feel like, oh, you're just trying to make me another notch on your belt. Share the gospel. You get a notch. Care about them. They are different. They're in the image of God. They've got their unique good stuff, challenges, sin issues. Care about them specifically. You pray. You care. And when you're caring about them and you've prayed and God's working, Holy Spirit power There's going to be opportunities to share. Opportunities to share the truth, the gospel with them. Wonderful thing. I put this in the outline. Prayer, share, care. And then had breakfast with Chris Simon the other day. And he's just telling me about doing something at work. And I'm just sitting there. Whoa. He did exactly this. He he hadn't heard this. But it's what he did in sharing the gospel with a friend. Prayer, share, care. We can do it. We can do it. So last thing, the $20 challenge. I'm still, I can't claim this one. Got this from Dan Ray. I'm still waiting on my first original thought. And even that line, I stole that from somebody else. I have no original thoughts, but I'll acquire from others. So Dan Ray in his discipleship group, he said, guys, you got $20. Okay. Spend it on an unbeliever. Okay. So we did that in our journey group a couple weeks ago here. Gave the men $20, said, parameters, spend it on an unbeliever. That's it. Come back and share your story. So here's what I'm going to do. I can't give everybody in here 20 bucks. That's too much. Donna said, what are you doing? That's, that's food budget and all that stuff. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, the first five people, I'm willing to spend 100 bucks. That's worth it for me. Um, first five people who go... Spend 20 bucks on an unbeliever. Come back and tell me. I'll reimburse you. Okay? If Scout were here, he'd be right on it. He would be. So you can still tell Scout. Scout's eligible. First five people, you get to do that. Now, I bet some of you are saying, he shouldn't have to pay us 20 bucks to share the gospel. Good grief. That's just wrong. Good. Go share the gospel. And I don't have to pay you 20 bucks. And you did it. Good job. Or you might be saying, how self-righteous. He's talking about spending $100. Shut up. (laughs) Go share the gospel. 20 bucks. I can afford that much. You come tell me. 
your story about what you did, 20 bucks on an unbeliever, go, go, let's go. Let's pray.